Ann Graham Lotz with an introduction to today's message. You are accountable to a holy God who sees everything you do and say, every thought you think, every emotion you feel. That's where holiness begins to be achieved in your life. You're listening to Living in the Light with Bible teacher Ann Graham Lotz. Today's message is titled, Rejoice in Your Wealth, the wealth you have in Christ. You'll hear steps you can take in making the direction of your life toward holiness and godlikeness. Here's Anne in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. The gospel of God that was revealed to the prophets, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Peter is saying that the prophets in the Old Testament looked for the gospel. They longed for the gospel. Think of Moses when he wrote down that God would send a prophet like himself who would deliver people not from bondage to slavery, but bondage to sin. And he was looking for that prophet like himself. Think of Adam and Eve when they were told that there would come a seed of a woman who would trample the serpent's head, take away their sin, bring them back into a right relationship with God, which had just been broken because of their sin. And they looked for this seed who would do that. Think of Abraham, told that he would have a seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed and he spent his whole lifetime looking for the seed. And you think of Isaiah writing about the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, looking for the gospel, looking for the lamb by whose stripes we would be healed, looking and longing to see the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, And Peter says, rejoice. You're not just looking for it. You don't just long for it. It's yours. (laughs) Praise God we live on this side of the cross. We don't have to look for it. We can have it for ourselves. It was revealed to the prophets, but it's received by you and me. And the gospel they longed for that they saw dimly through their sacrifices and their ceremonies, you and I see clearly at the cross of Jesus Christ and through God's word, it's yours, it's mine. Peter's not through. He's still rejoicing. He says, let's go on. I'm rejoicing not only in my possessions, but I'm rejoicing in my potential. I, Peter, this failure that I just described to you, have the potential to be a holy person. And that's just mind-blowing, <laughs> especially if you're like a Peter and you're more aware of your sin and your failure than you are of your holiness and to think that you have potential to be a holy person. What is a holy person? We hear about holiness and it's not a term normally that attracts us and we think of it as being something heavy and sanctimonious and pious. And Do you know what my simple definition for being holy is? It's simply to be like Jesus, to be Christ-like. And you have the potential, dear friend, to be like Jesus Christ on this earth, living in the last days. Peter says, rejoice in your potential to be like Christ. It's not anything you can do for yourself. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself like Christ, asked Peter. (laughs) He tried hard, and every time he tried, he just fell flat on his face But he knew that you could aim for it and that you can set your mind to it, that you make certain choices that 
will work with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can make you holy like Christ. Verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your minds for action. Dedicate yourself mentally to being holy. And I believe that means you've got to spend time in God's Word. You have to spend time reading the Bible. You have to spend time studying the Bible. You have to spend time saturating yourselves in the Scriptures. And so do I. And so did Peter. Or you will never be like Christ. God's Word, it says, we're continually cleansed by the washing of the Word. It's the Word that comes into us that we eat that causes us to grow so that we can become like Christ. So he says, if you're going to aim to be like Christ, you must aim with dedication mentally as you set your mind on the Scriptures and set your mind on the Word of God. Secondly, dedicate yourself practically. He says, be self-controlled. Discipline your lifestyle. For someone who is aiming to be holy and to be like Christ, their lifestyle is as different from everybody else as the lifestyle of a fighter pilot is from a drunk. We bring our whole schedules under control. And I think the first part of your schedule that needs to come under control, if it's like mine, is a schedule early in the morning. It's what Alan Redpath said, we all need blanket victory. <laughs> we need to have victory over our blankets in the morning so we can get up and spend time in our Bibles and get, get up and spend time in prayer. And you discipline your lifestyle to make the time every day. And for me, that's got to be early in the morning. Make the time for prayer and for Bible reading, to be with Christ. So if you're going to aim to be like Christ and to be holy, you've got to do it with dedication mentally, dedication practically, as you bring your lifestyle under control. Thirdly, dedication emotionally. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. And it's the hope of seeing Him, the hope of being like Him, the hope of being conformed to the image of Christ so that your husband can see Christ in you or your children or your neighbor or your friend or the people to whom you minister, they can see Christ in you. Set your hope fully on that. And I believe that means you've got to get emotional about this thing. Put passion into it. Really care about it. On what are you wasting your emotions? Soap operas? Romance novels? It is incredible. The things that we can waste our emotions on and so we have none left over for Jesus. And I personally don't think those soap operas or those romance novels have any place in the life of a woman who is aiming to be holy and Christ-like. Because we can't waste our emotions and the preoccupation of our thoughts on stuff like that. Dedicate yourself emotionally and fourthly spiritually. Do not conform to evil desires. That simply means say no to sin. Can you remember a lifestyle before you received Christ, before you were converted? How much of that lifestyle, dear friend, has carried over into your new life in Christ? What is clinging to this new life in Christ that's left over from a life before Christ? Peter says, get rid of it. Say no to that. You've come out of that life. Put it behind you. If you're going to aim for holiness and Christ-likeness, you aim with dedication mentally, practically, emotionally, spiritually. You set your sail. But let me say that you also set your sail not only with dedication but because of an obligation. And I wouldn't want to pass over verses 15 and 16. You are obligated because of the character of God. He is holy. And the call of God. He's called you to be holy. And the command of God, He commands you to be holy. Holiness 
Christ-likeness is not an option in the Christian life. It is an obligation. When you received Christ, nobody made you. Nobody put a gun to your head and said, you must receive Christ. It was a voluntary choice on your part. And when you voluntarily chose to receive Christ as your Savior, you were also voluntarily accepting a Christian lifestyle. You cannot just simply be saved, get your ticket to heaven, and live the way you please. And if that's what you're doing, you go back and examine your salvation. You may not even be saved. Because with genuine salvation and genuine conversion comes an acceptance of the Christian life. Now, Peter will tell you, you can accept that Christian life and still sin and still fail and still fall flat on your face. But the aim and direction of your life is set towards holiness and towards Christ-likeness. And you aim for it with dedication because of an obligation to God who is holy, who has called you to be holy. And if that's not enough, he commands you to be holy, to be like Jesus. You aim for it, and then you achieve it. You can actually achieve holiness, Christ-likeness in your life. And it's a progressive thing, and none of us are going to be completely like Christ until we stand before him and the old nature drops off and we're, we're completely like Christ. But you can progress in this. First of all, Peter says, well, through four or five steps, but the first one is, in verse 17, you achieve it through a consciousness of God's holiness in your life, his presence in your life. Verse 17, he judges each of you impartially. And as you build that awareness into your life, and I don't think it means the judgment seat of Christ, I think it means God is walking beside you in your life, right where you are, in your home, your business, with your children, whatever it may be, and God is walking beside you, and he is holy, and he judges you impartially every moment of the day, meaning you are accountable to a holy God who sees everything you do and say, every thought you think, every emotion you feel. That's where holiness begins to be achieved in your life when you have a vision of God walking beside you who's judging you moment by moment impartially according to his holy standards. Isaiah found that out in chapter 6. And he looked up and he saw God high and lifted up and holy, 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 filled the temple. And his holiness in his own life began when he had a vision of the holiness of God. So if you're going to achieve holiness, you need to build into your life a conscious awareness of the holy presence of God walking beside you. And that vision of God will lead to an awareness of your own sin if you're like Isaiah because he said, oh no, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the holiness of God just revealed the unholiness in his own life. And so in verse 18... You know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. You achieve holiness when you're conscious of the presence of a holy God in your life, and then you become aware of your sin and you come back to the cross for that cleansing. So moment by moment you're aware that you're being judged impartially by a holy God, and moment by moment you're walking in light of the cross, being cleansed from the very sin that the holiness of God reveals. And that leads to the third thing, which is a conversion increasingly by God's power. The same power in verse 21 that raised Jesus from the dead is available in your life to set you free from the power of sin and the habits of sin and the pull of sin on your life. So that as you're walking consciously aware of a holy God 
And as you're walking continually cleansed of the sin that His holiness reveals, and you confess it and you're bringing it to the cross, increasingly you're converted by the power of God into someone who is like Christ. And it also means you need to stay in communion with God's people. And verse 22, love one another deeply. You and I will never live a holy life and be completely Christ-like if we divorce ourselves from Christian fellowship, if we take ourselves out of the church. Now, you can do it if you're stuck in prison somewhere and God's grace will be sufficient, but when you have available a Christian fellowship and you're just withdrawing yourself for whatever reason, you're going to make it real hard on yourself to be like Christ. He has provided Christians sisters and brothers and pastors and teachers and a Christian family for you to have communion with that they might encourage you in your walk of holiness. And then you need a commitment to God's word. And commitment to God's word, Peter says in verse 25, that stands forever. Don't forget that God's word is eternal. It doesn't change. God's word is personal. Verse 25, the word that was preached to you. The Bible was not written for theologians and preachers and People like that exclusively. It was written for you and for me, ordinary women, that we might hear God speaking to us. It's personal. It's practical. Chapter 2, verse 1, rid yourself of sin and it will tell you what sin needs to leave your life. And as you come into the scriptures, the word will reveal to you that which is not holy, which needs to be put away. And in verses 2 and 3, it's not only eternal, personal, practical, it's desirable. He says you'll crave it like a newborn baby craves the feeding at 2 a.m. in the morning. And if you've ever nursed a baby, you know how much they crave to be fed at 2 a.m. Or even if you give them a bottle. Nothing will satisfy that baby except being fed. And he says, as you're seeking to be holy, that's the way you crave God's word. Like a baby early in the morning craves to be fed. Nothing else will satisfy just God's word. Not books about God's word. Not someone's wonderful opinions. Not social issues. Not political causes. Just God's Word satisfies that craving. And when you're seeking to be holy, you can achieve it through a conscious awareness of a holy God walking beside you, through being cleansed moment by moment by the Son of God as your sin is revealed, through increasingly a conversion by God's power as you confess your sin and give your life to Him moment by moment, through communion with God's people, through a commitment to the eternal personal, practical, desirable Word of God, no wonder you're not holy. <laughs> Holiness doesn't come easy, right? Holiness requires an aim if you're going to achieve it. But you have the potential. If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, which you are, the moment you received Christ, He came in in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God living in you, and he's going to give you the power to separate from sin in your life. He gives you the desire to be separate from sin. He'll give you the power to put it out of your life. He'll give you the craving to be like Christ if you surrender your life to him. Peter says, I'm rejoicing in my potential to be like Christ. It's not just an idealistic thing way up there that is nice and that I can never achieve. I can actually achieve it. I can aim for it and I can achieve it. Not completely until I see Christ, but I can grow in it. Are you growing in your holiness? Would you rejoice in your potential? When did you lose your joy in your potential? When you failed for the 100th time on the same thing? When you sinned again, and then you confessed it, and you sinned the same way again, and you confessed it, and then you did it 
again and you were so embarrassed you didn't go back to confess it. And we can get so frustrated with ourselves that we can lose our joy in the potential we have as children of God. If we'll be patient, and it takes time, but we set our aims, set our minds to holiness, we can begin to achieve it and grow in holiness so that other people will see Jesus sticking out all over us. Peter said, I'm rejoicing in my potential. And lastly, I'm rejoicing in my position. And when you live in the last days, and if we are living in the last days, we're going to see our world getting worse and worse, and we'll pick up our newspapers and see things just happening dramatically all over the world, which we are, and you'll begin to feel a little insecure and perhaps a little frightened because the days that precede the return of Christ are dangerous days, unpredictable days, days of uncertainty and instability. Peter says, rejoice, rejoice in your position. And what is your position? Your position is that you are secure on the rock of Jesus Christ. People think when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, that he was speaking of Peter. <laughs> Peter would just laugh if somebody told him that. Build a church on me? You've got to be kidding. The rock is Jesus. And so Peter describes Jesus the rock. Chapter 2, verse 4, he's the living stone. Speaking of that time in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness and they were... So thirsty, it was a desert area, there was no water, and God brought water out of a rock to quench their thirst. And Peter said, Jesus is the living rock, the living stone, the one who satisfies. Living in the last days, you'll watch people trying to be satisfied in their marriage, and it falls apart. And in their pleasures, and they can't get enough of them, and they go in for such perverted things, and... And then they'll seek satisfaction in drugs and in alcohol and in every different kind of relationship and every kind of material possession. And they're running to and fro seeking satisfaction. It's found in the living rock. The water that flows from Jesus quenches your thirst for satisfaction. Jesus said, come to me and out of you will flow rivers of living water. He's the living stone. Verse 6, he's the cornerstone. When the temple was built, the first stone put in place was the cornerstone. Everything else was built onto that cornerstone. And Corinthians says that there is no foundation you can lay in life, whether it's in the first day or the last day, other than the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is that which will give your life security and stability. People are looking for security in the military or in their bank account or in their relationships or who they know or... And Peter says, real security for the last days is found when you build your life on the cornerstone. He's the living stone, he's the cornerstone, he's the capstone in verse 7. It's interesting, when the temple was built, the stones were cut in the quarry, and then they were brought to the temple site where they were put together, and, and no sound could be heard at the temple site. So they had to be cut perfectly in the quarry and then fit together at the temple site. So they were put together, but the thing that kept the, all the stones in place was the capstone. It was the last stone to go on. And when the capstone was fit down over the other stones, it kept them all together. And Peter says, Jesus is the capstone. He gives your life significance, meaning. He makes life fit together. All the little puzzle pieces that make, make no sense, he makes sense out of life. Jesus is the rock. And living in the last days, rejoice in your position. You are secure on the rock. And it doesn't change and it doesn't move and the whole world may give way and you're secure. He is a living stone. He is the cornerstone and he is the capstone. 
But I'll be honest with you, Peter says. He's also the stumbling stone. In verse 8, you're going to find in the last days people stumbling over him right and left into hell. And there'll be people right in the church that say there are other ways to God besides Christ. And if you're a sincere Muslim, sincere Hindu, sincere Buddhist, a sincere Jew, just if you're living your life sincerely trying to live for God and please God and do things right and, and be good, God will accept you. And they're stumbling right over Jesus into judgment. And there'll be people that say the cross is not necessary because when I get to heaven, God's going to weigh my good things against my bad things that I've been better than I have been bad. And so he's going to let me into heaven. And they're stumbling right over Jesus into judgment. He's the stumbling stone. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby you can be saved. Only Jesus. And he's the stumbling stone because people rebel and they don't want to come through him. Their pride makes them want to come some other way than humbly bowing before the cross and confessing their sin. And Peter says, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's the rock, the stone of stumbling. If you don't come through him, you stumble right into judgment. You are secure on the rock, are you? Not only are you secured on the rock, you're supported by the redeemed. And Peter says in verse 5 that you also are living stones, and I'm a living stone, and we're all living stones and we are built together into a great living temple which will reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Sort of like lights. If I have one little light, it shines and breaks the darkness, but you put another light to it and another one and another one, if you have a hundred light bulbs burning together, how great is the light? And he says we're all living stones, each one with Jesus sticking out all over us, and you put us all together and people can see Jesus more clearly. We're collective living stones revealing Jesus Christ. And then in verses 11 and 12, not only are we collective living stones, we have a common lifestyle. We're all aliens and strangers just passing through this world seeking to live for Christ, seeking to be holy in verse 11. Verse 12, seeking to be good and live good lives among the pagans that they can see Jesus. And verse 12 says, live such good lives among the pagans in the world during the last days that... Though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits them. And what is that day of visitation? It's not just the day when Jesus returns, but Jesus visits them the day he knocks on the door of their heart. And they're aware he's knocking. And they open up their heart and invite him to come in. That's the day Jesus visits them. And on the day Jesus visits them, they're going to remember the witness of him they saw in your life. You see, all their lives have been gathering evidence for the fact that Jesus is real, and you're part of that evidence. And so on the day that God visits them, and they open up their hearts and lives to him, they will rejoice and praise God for his glory they saw in your life. How many people do you know who come to Christ because of the witness of somebody else? It's because they saw Jesus in a mother or a neighbor or a friend or a child or a sister or a pastor or somebody at church and Jesus in that person made them want to know Jesus. And on the day he visited them and they became born again, they said, God, thank you for the evidence in her life that you gave me so that I know you're real. And we do that collectively as living stones, having a common lifestyle. We make Jesus more visible to the world of pagans around us. And on the day God visits them, they'll rejoice at what they've seen of Jesus 
not just in my life, but my life and your life and your life and your life and our lives together reflecting the glory of God. Rejoice in your position. You are secured on the rock and you're supported by the redeemed. All of these living stones that fit together that make up the temple of God. And it's the temple of God that reveals the presence of God. Living in the last days, you and I need to be as strong as we can be. If we're not just going to survive, but survive triumphantly in such a way that we make an impact on our families. Peter says, wipe the frown off. Put the smile on. Rejoice. Jesus is yours. You've been listening to Living in the Light. And when you go to angramlots.org, there are free resources to help you in your study of God's Word. Anne's desire is that you embrace a God-filled life, step-by-step, choice-by-choice, living in the light.